It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests, and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. Today's guest is Emily Murphy of PassThePistol.com. Emily is an organic gardener and botanist in Northern California, where she produces articles, podcasts, and videos for her website, and she teaches classes and designs gardens. She's also a photographer and the author of Grow What You Love, 12 Food Plant Families to Change Your Life. Welcome to the podcast, Emily. Hi. Thank you for having me. Sure. I've seen pictures of your garden from your book, but for those who aren't familiar, can you tell us where you are and what's growing on in your garden right now? Yeah. So I'm in, I'm in Northern California, very close to San Francisco, just over the Golden Gate Bridge. I'm in coastal California and I'm, I'm technically in zone USDA hardiness zone 10, but it's behaves more like say zone nine. If anyone's familiar with hardiness zones, uh, it's very foggy here in the summer. It's cool most of the time, but then we have these crazy heat waves and it makes gardening and growing things quite challenging except for the most resilient plants, of course. Mm -hmm. And and so it might sound like I'm so lucky because I have this year-round growing season, but in reality, it has its own challenges just like any other climate. Right. I think coastal gardeners have to deal with powdery mildew more than most and, uh, and some other, you know, just you know, not being able to grow big, juicy, giant tomatoes most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Stick to the cherry tomatoes. Exactly. The sun golds and, uh, and yellow pears and sweet 100s. Right. Yeah. And I, I wanted to ask you about your garden specifically. What does it look like? What's your layout? What do you have growing right now? So I actually have a couple gardens. I used to have three. Um, I, I borrow gardens because I'm renting right now. And so I've had to be really creative. When we moved to the Bay area, we moved from an acre lot. So I, I did have I did have quite a bit of growing space there, but it was in the mountains and it was quite cold in the winter and the growing season was short. So we came here and I was like, ah, oh, I have, I'm going to have all this opportunity to grow and renting, uh, poses its own challenges. So I have a deck, which is fabulous. Uh, the deck garden constantly grows with containers and it is three galvanized watering troughs in which I've added drain holes. And right now they're mostly dedicated to salad greens and herbs because those are the foods that I reach for every day and that really change everyday cooking for the better in ways that are truly incredible. Um, Actually, there's another galvanized trough that's off to the side that's dedicated to carrots. It's two foot high, which is great because it reduces chance of um, pests like carrot flies from finding it because it's a little bit higher off the ground and they only fly so high. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, um, you know, I have some small fruit trees in containers as well and and some succulents for lifestyle. And so that's kind of a hodgepodge, but it's dedicated really as a, as a kitchen garden. And I'm so lucky to have it. But again, it's on a deck. And so you have all this cool air coming up <laughs> to the bottom. And I completely scrapped growing plants like tomatoes because yeah. it's totally hit or miss. And it's usually a miss. Um, and I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a community garden plot that I grow in as well. And that is a plot that is about 10 by 15. So it's a decent size plot Mm -hmm. and 
cram it full with <laughs> all of the heat loving crops because it's a tiny bit more inland and it is if anyone has seen the Grow You Love book or follows me on Instagram, that is where a lot of my images are taken. And I'm so lucky to have that plot because I think it's one thing to have our own home gardens and, and to be in those home gardens, especially now um, in these times with uh, so many people staying at home. Uh, we're lucky to have those spaces, but there's something really incredible about sharing a garden space with other people and watching what they're growing and watching what they do when they don't pick. I think a lot of people grow things they plan on eating and then they realize it's so beautiful. I, I can't pick it because I just love looking at it. And then the next thing you know, it's bolted. Uh, but I'm so lucky to have that plot. Again, it's about a 10 by 15 plot um, and it looks one direction. When I'm sitting, I can look out and see the coastal foothills um, and the Pacific, of course, is on the other side. And nice. and it's nice. fog rolling in and it's really beautiful. And I, I did recently give up that third garden, which was a borrowed garden from a friend I just got to be too much yeah it's hard I can really appreciate uh community gardens myself I have one and it is it's an oasis and it's a chance to see other people's gardens what they're growing how they're doing it and to share advice between gardeners it's really you know it's a really good idea it's really wonderful and and we do um we have a, a giving program where everyone leaves a portion of their produce that they grow and it goes to a local charity and it's just a wonderful place to be and if i'm not don't have room say for all the flowers i'd like to grow my neighbor has them and while i'm not picking those flowers i get to enjoy them and the borrowed view that they provide. And, and so it's, it's really, it's really a unique experience. I think everyone should at least try it once in their lives. Definitely. And the waiting list is usually long. So get on the list and forget about it and, you know, get on a waiting <laughs> list for a plot somewhere near you and forget about it. And then, you know, like four years you'll, you'll hear from someone. <laughs> it's true. I think it took me three years to get my plot. Yeah. And the waiting list at my community garden is about four to five years. So that's, you know, and we're big, we're a really big garden. So what brought you to gardening in the first place? I am one of those lucky people that was raised with growing. And if anyone can understand the idea of, of you know, things where the things that were around as children, and we take them in sort of like osmosis and just becomes part of your fabric mm-hmm. of, of who you are and how you think and how you see the world. My, we always had a small plot at home. Uh, my mother always kept strawberries, lots of berries and, and the basic vegetables, but lots of berries and perennial veg. And then my grandmother had a much bigger garden and my paternal grandfather had a farm. And, and so if whoever I was visiting, you know, which grandparent, there was always something to go out and pick, which was amazing. And I was lucky enough when I was about nine, I befriended the teacher who was going to be my fifth grade teacher. And she had a small homestead that was maybe a 15 minute walk from my house. And I really loved helping her in her space. She had chickens and rabbits and ducks and peacocks and berries for picking. And we got to do fish emulsion, which sounds really gross and it kind of is, but it's also really cool with real fish and 
and so that was that was my upbringing and I took that with me and in my throughout my life and I'm sure it's what inspired me to study botany that and just a, a love of nature and came together and that and that's sort of what unfolded and landed me here cool well, I, I want to jump quickly to your book, Grow What You Love. I read that a couple of years ago and reviewed it on Garden Nerd. And I remember thinking, gosh, this is much more than a gardening book. It's really a lifestyle guide with recipes and imagery that are really inspirational because that's, you know, I think that's what the, the, mo- the motivation behind the book was. I'm not sure if that's true, but that's in my mind, that's what it was. So how did the book come about for you? Yeah. I, I mean, you said that so well, thank you. For <laughs> sure. Well, thanks so much. I'm so glad that came through in the pages because that, that was so important to me. And I, I mean, the title I think says it all, in, in the sense of it is a lifestyle, grow what you love, find the things that make you happy and grow them. And when we're, when we actively cultivate anything, whether it's a plant or our children or our relationships in our community, whatever it might be, it could be art or music. When we act actively cultivate those things, um, they change our lives, hopefully for the better, right? We, we grow in ways we don't always expect because of the process of growing. And again, like my experience growing up, it becomes something that's part of the fabric of your being. And so while now, at this point in time, if you have any listeners who are interested in gardening but haven't really started or find it really hard, the idea is is to just start, to just start with a couple of things. Start with the things you love, and in the process of growing those few things, you realize that it's not that hard because it does does become part of just your daily routine of caring for those few things. I think small is really important. <laughs> That's a good and, point. And that lifestyle component then comes to play and then, it, and then you don't realize that, that it might be challenging at times because it's just part of what you do. Yes, there's plants that are going to die and yes, there are going to be times where things just don't go as planned, but that might be part of the puzzle that makes it so wonderful and that then incorporates it again into your life and it becomes this thing that you do that makes your life better. And I I hope people take take that away when they when they when they read the book. Yeah, and I think today, you know, we're in the midst of coronavirus and lockdown in California and I think, you know, I've I don't know about you, but I've experienced a, a you know, influx of people looking for quick fixes on what can I grow right away and all of that kind of stuff. And I think that your your book has a, a really, it, it folds exactly into this thing. You know, the whole idea of growing your own food means self-reliance and also means creativity. And you, in the book, you've got this, um, you know, each plant has a, three sections, plant, pick, and fix. And it's the fix part that was most interesting to me because you had some unusual things, uh, unusual uses for things like fava bean hummus and nasturtium capers. The book goes into detail about using things. You really takes to heart the idea of using everything that you're putting, that you're putting into the garden and taking out of it. What is one of your favorite things to do with your harvest? Besides eat it on the spot, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's hard to say. I think it depends on the season and what what's presenting itself at any one time honestly it's usually making salads mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and, and having food as fresh as possible 
and using fresh herbs again going back to that concept of using fresh herbs but what i would challenge anyone to do especially those stay-at-homers who are looking for unique ways to grow something simple that's quick it's immediately rewarding. And also, we're all cooking more at home, right? We're staying at home. There's concern for how often we go to the market or should we should we or should we not get takeout and how we might be exposed. And so, yeah, using everything from tip to tail is, is critical. And I think that the first challenge would be take any recipe and swap out fresh herbs for any dried herbs possible. Mm-hmm. Of course, things like cumin and coriander use those as directed because those are their own unique flavors and spices. But anything that calls for oregano, thyme, basil, uh, any of those plants, lovage, who knows? It could be anything, right? And what's lovage, by the way? Well, grow it. <laughs> it's a fabulous perennial herb and, and taste it and see what happens and try throwing it into different recipes. And you will immediately find that the foods you've cooked, say, for years have transformed into something quite magical and full of nutrition, right? Because herbs are full of phytonutrients that are important for our health and well-being, which is, again, so important right now. So I think using things fresh would be my number one, but I do love um, nasturtium capers and fava bean hummus and finding ways to use things that I might only pick uh, for two weeks out of the year. So what what am I going to do with it to make it really special that punctuates the season? Yeah. Can you share a little bit more about your nasturtium capers? Those are so fascinating to me. Yeah. So nasturtiums, if anyone's grown nasturtiums or is familiar with the plant, nasturtiums have this this wonderful habit, right? This trailing habit of vining through the garden, which is lovely by itself, but they have these fabulous lily pad like leaves and these blooms that are, that range from yellows to reds and crimsons that, uh, hummingbirds and, and bumblebees love. And I think usually when we think of nasturtiums, we think of a trap crop, at least for the typical gardener, right? We think, oh, trap crop. It's a plant you would grow 15 feet from the rest of your garden to lure aphids away from other susceptible plants. True. Helpful. Yes, you can eat the leaves. That's kind of catching on as we see them in things like summer rolls and salads. It's a commonly known edible flower. It's kind of peppery, has this spicy flavor. Uh, again, great in salads. And I think what's lesser known is that the seeds are also edible, these seed pods, right? Mm-hmm. They're little like little nutlets that when, when they break apart, they break apart in like twos and threes, usually threes, depending upon how you find them in the garden. And if you pick them when they're green, they're still tender, and that is when you pickle them. So when they're brown and hard, that's when you save them for planting out the next season, or you give to a neighbor so that your friend can grow them because they are prolific in their seeding. Uh, But if they're still green, so you can go out and actually pick them right off the vine, off the plant, or you can find them after they've just fallen and they're still green. Wash them up. And pickle them like you would anything. You can do a quick pickle where you're just really putting that hot brine over the nasturtiums and pop it into the fridge. I guess kind of like making a freezer jam, but just put it straight into the fridge. Or you can actually do a hot water bath pickle where you can them like you would be canning pickles that you'd put away for the season again to have later. And they're basically like a poor man's caper. So 
but they're spicier and they're bigger. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I like to use them. One more thing. Yeah. I, they're so good if you have like uh, cauliflower, if you're roasting vegetables like cauliflower, any other vegetable, to put them on um, roasted veggies like you would use capers. That's one of my favorite ways to use them. But you can use them however you'd use capers in any other recipe, but with a little extra kick. That's so cool. I just would never have thought of that. And I remember putting a big old sticky note in the book when I ran across those. I'm like, so doing this. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and and they look, you know, nasturtium seeds look like little brains. So it's always interesting, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, now that you say that, that's interesting that you say that. I wonder, I know a woman who's a nutritional therapist, her name's Lily Padilla. And, and she might say, well, that's because it's good for your brain. And so <laughs> Because anyway, it's, you never know. We should ask someone who's a nutritionist if there's some correlation between how it looks and how it tastes how it, and how it, what how, it helps. Yeah. How it feeds us. <laughs> well, it's certainly, it's certainly a subject for more discussion. You know, you have a new podcast that you launched last summer. Tell us a little bit about that. So, yeah. So the podcast is also called Grow What You Love, like the book. And the idea with the podcast was to create an experience. Um, so if you listen to any of the episodes, you'll find that I actually go to the homes, kitchens, and gardens of the people that I'm interviewing. And in most of the episodes, we cook something up or we make something from the garden. So for instance, one of my guests is Justine Kahn, and she is the founder of a company called Botnia, Botnia Skincare. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and she has her own mini farm in her home where she grows the ingredients that go into her skincare products. And she's grown enough. She has farm partners. She can't grow them all on her plot. She has this maybe, you know, two tenths of an acre at most, maybe, you know, 0.12 of an acre in Sausalito. So not much. Um, so she has farm partners that help her with growing all the ingredients she needs. But we actually, when I meet her, I meet her in her garden and we go into her studio and we actually make a calendula healing oil for the, it's a face oil. It was a lot of fun, but with other guests, we cook and and I hear their stories, and it's designed, again, to be an experience. That said, now with COVID-19, I plan on sticking with uh, some proper social distancing and, and, uh, and recording conversations by Zoom until we're allowed to meet people in person again. Yeah, and we are recording this conversation on Skype for proper physical distancing and just yeah. general, you know, you're up north, I'm down south, so there's that. Right, right. Yeah. I, I want to ask you about some photography tips, if I may, because it seems like everyone is taking better photos now that mobile phones have pretty good cameras, but there's still such a difference between an amateur and a professional like yourself. What is your strategy for capturing your garden in photos? Oh, thank you so much for that compliment, too, because photography in general is something I really love to do. And the photos in your book are a testament of your skill because they're really beautiful photographs that highlight everything you're talking about. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. And I, I do. So anyone who goes to my Instagram, you'll see I do, I do post images that are just for my iPhone and also images that are from what I call my real camera that has more capabilities, but 
it's amazing how much our phones are, are becoming better tools for photography. And I think that no matter what tool you're using, the challenge is really to look at the world around you a little bit differently or try to gain new perspectives. And I think gardening does this as well, but I think a camera really provides a lens, truly, a lens for seeing the world around us. And try taking the same image from, say, different vantage points, and you will quickly see that there's a different quality of light or you know, a diff something maybe you hadn't noticed before about a plant or a garden, whether it's a, a wide open space or, or your subject is, is just a flower. And I think that's part of it, too, is determining what is your subject and starting there. And sometimes when you go into a garden, say if you're talking, if I'm looking specifically at, at garden photography, I go in with the the intention of, of photographing, say, whatever might be ripe and ready. Maybe it's pumpkins or maybe it's the flowers that are in bloom. But I might find something I hadn't expected. And just like with a garden, I think we have to give ourselves room to explore those things that we hadn't expected. Not, not waste those moments because it could be something, you know, it could be anything. It could be that the way the clouds are moving in the sky, it could be anything that, that will be different in 10 minutes. Minutes. And right. so capture it you're there. Um, so I, I think perspective is probably what I try to capture most in my photography and then use of light. Light is a is a is a really big one. Is it front lit? Is it back lit? Is it side lit? How does that change the shape? or how we perceive the shape of something or the color of something. Is it overexposed or underexposed? I one time took a, a photograph of some calendula and I didn't realize that I hadn't changed the exposure and that I took them in an overexposed setting. And I was pleasantly surprised. I ended up with what looked more like art than a photograph, but it was really quite lovely. And so playing with light and, and exposure is probably the next thing I would go to other than just trying to see the world around you a little differently. So that's what I try to do in my photography is find beautiful things that uh, might otherwise be missed and appreciate them. Yeah, I think for me, you know, the human eye can take in so much, but when you try and photograph the big picture, it often just comes out as this big jumbled mess. And so I think your advice about, you know, focusing on one thing as the focal point and then maybe if it's possible, if your phone allows you to, you know, blur the background or whatever it is that, you know, the features, you can do it that way. I, I have that trouble, especially at my community garden, because everyone's plot has stuff in it. And so there's no clear photo, but your eye filters out all the junk and just sees the pretty, but the camera sees it all in a really unpleasant way sometimes. So do you have any oh, suggestions around how to, I, how to do that? I, I do. I do. So say you're using your phone in the garden and that's, that's the device you have to take pictures with. My suggestion is to get a little bit closer to whatever might be a focal point, knowing that you want to capture a wide and say again, let's go back to calendula, get a little bit closer to a calendula flower. Mm -hmm. So that's in the foreground. That is a, that is a, that's the, that's the place your eye will start. And then let the background fall off from there. That's one way to help decrease clutter. Another way to decrease clutter 
is to focus on the lines. And so go to the path. So think of positive and negative spaces. We often want to photograph the positive. We want to photograph the plants, but maybe we point the camera in a sense down the path and the plants are falling into the photograph from the sides. I think those would probably be two, two elements to start with. And then again, a light would be another. And then the other thing to consider, and I, and I've kind of been, I use an app in my phone called pro camera to take a lot of my images. And I've, I've done that because when I advanced, I don't even know what phone I have. It's not a new one. When I advanced from like the five, I have an iPhone, but I had the five to now maybe I have the seven. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I should know, <laughs> but it, it doesn't really worry me because it works. I was actually a little bit concerned. I was like, well, I think the phone, the, the app, the phone app in this phone was better in the five than whatever I have now. And so I'm just going to use an app. So I started using pro camera, which I, which I really do like, but then I was, then I missed the fact that the iPhone app, maybe with some of the newer updates, actually has a way to change the focal length of your image. And that will help you declutter an image. And so if if what you're photographing is in the foreground, if that makes sense, if I'm describing that well for listeners, mm-hmm. uh, you want the background to fall away and be a little bit blurry. In the iPhone app, if you have an iPhone, I'm sure other phones have this capability as well, hold down on whatever it is you're focusing on. A little yellow square will pop up, and you'll see uh, a yellow bar pop up above that, and that's when you know you're in this mode that allows you to affect the focal length, and the fall-off will happen in the background so that it gets a little bit blurry, so not everything's in in the same focal length where it looks cluttered and it has that wonderful look that I think so many of us appreciate. Does that help? That is helpful. I am, I have a Blackberry, so, uh, um, it does run on an Android, uh, operating system though. So I'm going to play with that. Uh, I'm, I also carry a regular, you know, elf Canon elf camera in my purse at all times. So when I whip out my camera, people are like, what is that? I'm like, it's a camera old fashioned. (laughs) And so, (laughs) anyway, I digress. It is tip time. Do you have a favorite tip you'd like to share with the Garden Nerd audience? The the tip I've been focusing on most lately, especially with the coronavirus and the stay-at-home measures, is just start. Don't wait for things to be perfect. Just plant some you might not have all the material materials you want. You might not want, you might not have the containers that you would prefer. It might be you're planting in, in bags or the black cans from the, the nursery. It doesn't matter. Just start, just plant something because it'll bring you so much joy and, and you can add and change to it over time, but just plant something such a wonderful gift to yourself and to your family. Yeah, I think that is a great tip. Uh, and and really, it, it is all about starting because gardening is a rabbit hole you can go down for years. You'll never know it all. It's like, uh, well, like anything. You, you just have to get going. And once you get going, you get curious. You start asking questions. And there are tons of resources out there like Pass the Pistol and Garden Nerd and others like that. So there's, there's plenty of resources to find answers to. So thank you for that tip. That is a very good one. Thank you. I hope it helped. I hope that your listeners have a sense of uh, empowerment and, and I think also find like a new sense of hope. There's got to be some silver lining 
to what's happening right now. And it might be that starting a garden is that silver lining and you're here to help them. And I'm hopefully here to help them as well. And we're all just doing the best we can learning as we go. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you for that expert tip, Emily. And thanks for being on the garden nerd tip of the week podcast. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Of course. Now, I know you have quite a following on social media, so where do people find you? So I spend most of my time, as I mentioned, on Instagram, and uh, I spend also quite a bit of time on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Those are my two platforms. You can't do all of the platforms unless you have a team of people. And so those are the two I tend to focus on. I am on Facebook and Pinterest. I do love my Pinterest boards. I'm just not there that often. Um, I use, I use those more as a tool for, for garden design and mentoring than, than anything else. And so Instagram is, is my place and, and my, my blog, of course, my, my website, pastthepistol.com. That's P I S T I L is in part of the flower. Yeah, I guess in my podcast, grow what you love, which is on iTunes and anywhere you listen to podcasts. And that's kind of, I guess that's where I am. Okay, great. All right, garden nerds, you'll find a link to Emily's website at gardennerd.com this week. We'll also share her social media feeds and a link to her book, Grow What You Love. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at gardennerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under gardennerd1, on Facebook as gardennerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening! <laughs>